Please listen carefully. Oh, should we do a RIP to the Society for Shanice? What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister. My name is Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. I just bought just bit into a bagel, sorry. And that's the level that you can expect from us today because it was 10 a.m. when we started and it's now 10.45 and all we've done is sit here and talk because we don't get enough of that when we're actually recording. We also have to add on an additional hour at the beginning and the end just to chat shit. Um, welcome to today's episode. We are trying to talk about something a little bit interesting. One of our most popular episodes is My Favorite True Crime where we talked about true crime stories that we really really liked i think we did not do very like murdery true crimes when i went back i'm pretty sure we picked like dirty money and mcmillions and all that kind of stuff but it was a really good episode and we really liked it we wanted to do a little bit of a play on that one today and so today we're going to talk about our favorite fictional murders so these are all going to be about you know murders in books movies and tv shows that we thought were really good well done maybe the like books just stayed with us um, just anything about sort of a fictional murderer that we were like, mm, that's it. That's if I were to murder somebody, that would be how. This is the story I want to tell of a murder. So yeah, we are going to be talking today about fictional murders. So Stephanie, right off the bat, what is your favorite fictional murder? Uh, well, this movie was released to Netflix recently. And when I rewatched it, I fell in love with it again. And I was genuinely inspired <laughs> by watching movie uh so that movie is legally blonde the murder is brooke who happens to be uh elle woods's alumni sorority house person she is basically tracy anderson basically what's her name whatever she's a big fitness do you not you guys know who tracy anderson is no no you're talking to the wrong group of people i will take my i know jillian michaels (laughs) jillian that's okay yeah okay so Brooke is a Jillian Michaels, basically having made a fortune on crafting women's bodies, which I think is a direct quote. I may be lying, uh, but she's charged with killing her older husband, who was murdered by a shotgun. No, <laughs> from a gunshot wound. And the whole this movie is very layered, and I can't exactly tell you why I love it so much, other than the fact that you can like clothes and also be smart. <laughs> Genuinely inspiring to me. <laughs> But why is this so good? Okay, basically it comes down to this final scene at the climax of the movie where Elle Woods is trying to figure out, did Brooke actually kill her husband? Which she knows she didn't, but who actually killed her husband? So she's sitting down Chutney, which is the older gentleman's daughter, trying to figure out what went wrong. And And it all stems from a perm that Elle Woods, only Elle Woods would know that, you know what, you don't wash your hair after you get a perm. So what was Chutney doing in the time she said she was washing her hair after getting a perm? And guess what? She was trying to kill Brooke. And when that reveal happens, young Stephanie lost her shit. And I think generally the, like, the climax of this movie is so well done that, like, again, like I said, genuinely inspired. Every time I rewatch that scene, even though you know she's going to get, like, the answer out of Chutney, every time she repeats the same line, so she was you were in the shower and he was shot. So you didn't hear the, and then she's like, you were in the shower. And she keeps repeating it every single time. I cringed because I'm like, come on. You would know the ammonium thyglocolate needs 24 hours to set. 
I love that scene when you know exactly where she's getting. Like the first time you watch it, you're like, what the fuck is she doing? And well, then yeah, now- like, did I know what a perm was? No. Yeah, but now you know. Oh, every single time uh, the daughter goes, I thought it was you walking through the door. It was supposed to be you. Like, oh, what a great scene. Or like so Elle was when she's like, isn't that right, Chutney? You had time to hide. And then she like goes, oh, you had time to hide the gun. Uh, so what were you doing? And if, in fact, you had heard the gunshot, Brooke Wyndham wouldn't have had time to hide the gun before you got downstairs, which would mean that you would have had to have found Mrs. Wyndham with a gun in her hand to make your story plausible. Isn't that right? She's my age. Did she tell you that? How would you feel if your father married someone who was your age? You, however, had time to hide the gun, didn't you, Chutney? After you shot your father. I didn't mean to shoot him. I thought it was you walking through the door. Like, generally, this movie, <laughs> I give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> And if you haven't seen this, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. I even low-key love, like, it's very problematic, especially, like, when you go back and you watch it now in 2020, but I won't lie, when Emmett, uh, the, like, uh, who's it played by? Luke, Luke Wilson or something like that? Yeah, Luke Wilson. Um, when he is cross-examining, like, the pool boy or whatever, and he's just asking mm. him uh, speedy, fast-fire questions, and he's like, and what time did your relationship start from blah, 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 and your boyfriend's name is? And then he says a Duck. name. Oh, I love that whole scene, but I particularly love, even though it's so bad, when Chuck is in the audience, he goes, oh, you bitch. And then I love it. Chuck, what did you expect? Why were you like, there, Chuck? Also, also, yeah, like he's watching this whole thing. I'm like, did they not discuss this ahead of time that this is like a whole thing? Like, Chuck, I don't understand. <laughs> you bitch. Chuck, wait. That movie like, is so good. Like, if yeah. I, if I, <laughs> thinking back on my life because I'm so old apparently I was like you know what I would have done a few things based on this movie and what I studied like a fool that I am oh god oh basically oh we didn't even talk about Brooke's alibi and the whole reason Elle Woods true to herself very reliable very loyal you can't tell anyone what Brooke was doing was because Brooke was getting liposuction when she's made her fortune off of sculpting women's bodies I like how you got the exact quote for that because I this is hurting my brain so many times um i i think i particularly love about legally blonde like the way it like even though it does pit women against each other at some point it it is actually about them lifting each other up too so like yeah vivian even when she like misunderstands she comes back like she's just like oh shit i made a mistake um and then i love freaking holland taylor her professor um sarah mm. paulson's wife are they married <laughs> yeah they are married oh, or, or, they're par- or they're partners i don't know if they're actually married they're probably married i mean whatever but anyway every time every time she speaks i'm like wow i could listen to you talk all day and then she's sitting in the freaking yeah. freaking nice it in the salon. hair salon <laughs> I was like, yes. This is just gushing, but like truly a, an excellent w- show, an excellent showing on how to find your uh, not victim. What's the word? I how to find your victim? <laughs> I mean, it's really it's just teaching you that if you're gonna murder somebody, don't have gotten a perm the day before and don't get in the shower afterwards. Just like understand how your beauty routine fits into the murder. Don't underestimate people the looking into into the chemicals in their beauty routine because they know they know everything that's going on with their body. Fashion merchandising student Elle Woods, okay? She knows what's up. And her insanely high LSAT score. God bless her. We love I her. <laughs> Every time I see the LSAT score when they're like, oh my god, this is what I got. I'm like, really? Okay, what? She what, was very what smart. <laughs> oh, 179 in the LSATs. What's like a regular, I like the whole American a- system 
goes over my head. She had to hit something that was like what, like four or five points slower. It was one seventy two or one seventy four that she had to hit, and then she hits one seventy nine. Yeah. Oh, we should also mention like the fact she went to law school was to get back her old ex boyfriend, which is (gasps) can we a lot to unpack. Her like her first moment when she sees her her ex boyfriend in the green like professor smoking jacket smoking jacket <laughs> yeah I was just like I'm into this I still am into this like I would still wear that I need to watch the second one I was so mad that they didn't have it on Netflix yet I can't wait for the third I'm really happy that one is being made even if it will probably take longer to come out now and like this is a genuinely romance uh, I'm gonna bring it to the romance for a second because we know she ends up with uh, Luke Wilson's character Callahan. Like, like he honestly, he no, likes no. her the way he is. she is. Doesn't want to change a thing about her, and he loves her that for that. And I'm like, oh my god, Emmett, not Callahan. Callahan. Oh shit, Callahan Emmett. is the professor. Uh, Callahan is the one if- that tries to put his hand up her skirt because yeah. he's an older professor. This is, movie is so fresh in my brain. I wish that you could see a video of this because the moment, the moment Steph says Callahan, me and Nat immediately, like we perk up and we're like shaking our heads. No, because no, even though it's been a while since we've seen it, we know immediately. Like, mm-mm, I remember the scene where Luke Wilson or Emmett looks at Vivian and is like, Callahan, like, I can't remember what he says now, but he's like, Callahan, like, forced himself on her. Like, yeah. he tried to do something dirty. Like, I remember that scene. So I remember fucking Callahan. This movie definitely jaded my view of the actor that plays Callahan in, uh, because he's also the father in Alias. Oh, really? So every time I watch Alias, even though it's the other Victor Garber is his name. Whatever. But every time I see him, he's supposed to be like this bumbling father that's like really shitty at being a father, but still nice. And like the whole time I'm like, no, I know what you did. He's been a nicer guy in more things than I think that he's been a dick in. Cause he's also in the Flash series. Yeah, but this is, he's iconically the gross dude in Legally Blonde. You know what I'll never forgive the Legally Blonde musical for? Having Callahan's character, but um, getting rid of the lady Professor Holland. <gasps> no. Yeah, she's not in it. Um, well, they replace bullshit. her like pivotal scenes. They replace a lot of it with Vivian. Ugh, yeah. I don't like that. That was a. <laughs> but yeah, Legally Blonde. As much as it is about uh, a perfect murder and a law student, it is also very much about just like female friendships, and that's great. I like that the Emmett love story is a bit secondary. I like that they don't really mm-hmm. get together while he's her TA. Like low key, that's one of the things I appreciate. It's never like they don't start dating while that happens. It's afterwards when she's graduating that they talk about how they've been dating for a while, which I like. Do you find there's something so likable about when the Wilson brothers smile? I mean, he's cute. There's like it's like a weird like I'm not even like attracted to either of them, but every time <laughs> they smile, it's just like oh look at them. He's just got like a very average like boy next door kind of vibe. But he like, like I think the vibe he gives off is like genuinely nice. Like as yeah. much as yeah. people like shoot on like nice guys he's genuinely approachable this movie like when did it come out 2001 this is like pivotal to me <laughs> honestly it's so sad it's like that bring it on there's like a certain like section of 2001 2005 of the movies that i watched constantly and this was one of them and of course 2008 your prime uh, my prime well that was a teen so like that was twilight so is it a prime these movies set you up for your prime same with me i love these movies and like it was always playing on much music channel 29 at like 4 p.m on a saturday and you do it before you get ready to go out oh i didn't have a life when i was in middle school you know what i mean Ugh, great movie if you haven't seen it truly you're missing out on a classic i don't know it was written by two women which i didn't realize but i like it that a lot 
I think that checks out. I think that helps explain why it's so well done and the female characters aren't like Oh shit. my god, you know who she the screenplay writer also wrote She's the Man. Ellen no. Enchanted. What? Crazy Stupid Love. Ten Things I Hate About You. Of What's course. her name? Shout out Karen McCullough Luck. And then there's Kristen Smith who what? wrote the same thing. So they were like a duo. Wow. Wow. It makes all the sense in the world. I should be where hello. She doesn't they haven't come up with anything anything since twenty twelve. Why? Someone hire know. them. They were clearly writing, like, peak work. That's, st- like, sh- those, she's the man of Legally Blonde are me in a, in a movie. <laughs> oh, man, what? Okay, that's a tragedy. <sighs> Wish the best for them and them only. And Reese Witherspoon's doing fine. Like, Reese Witherspoon, I've hired them for your fucking production company. Mm. A great call. <sighs> they should write the third one. I, I mean, I assume they would. Did they write the second one? Let me check. But regardless, I'm going to stop talking now. It's on Netflix for you Canadians. Hop to it. And one day I also aspire to wear a pink outfit head to toe and heels. Honestly, I think that movie also made me want to, like, wear heels to university. But did I do that? No. <laughs> That's it. Natasha, what is your pick? My pick for my favorite fake murder is the book The Conductors by Nicole Glover. Uh, it actually isn't out yet, <laughs> which is unfortunate because I, what? Quick question, Nat. Uh, when, wh- when does it come out? This book that you're about to talk about. What's the, well, what's the release date? Amazon says March 2021, but Goodreads has two dates on there. It says either April 13th, 2021, or May 13th, 2021. So nobody really knows. It's only, it's only expected. Not it's, even a release date. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably March because that would be the most recent metadata that's been pushed out by the publisher. And I'm assuming they pushed up the date or something that has been happening a lot because why not? So uh, the conductors, even though I read it early, I do recommend people pre-order it because it is really good. Uh, it is about, okay, it's first of all, it's a historical fiction murder mystery. So if you like Sherlock, you'll probably like this as well. Uh, it is a slow burn, but essentially the story, romance? there is a little bit of romance, but it's okay. secondary. I mean, you said slow burn and I per- perked up right there. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> we know you're into a slow burn, but it, it's, when I say slow burn, I mean like the story kind of takes a while to get into. And I think um, a lot of people probably wouldn't get into it right away because a lot of people are like, oh, why do we get like the bulk of stuff at like 20% through the book? Well, I mean, like they were setting shit up. It's not like, so, okay. So anyway, <laughs> let me, let me, yeah. give- do, you, do you want to explain it before you start let, yeah, shitting me- on opinions about it? <laughs> I, okay. I read, Christina knows, I read some really shitty reviews of it last night and I'm pissed about it. <laughs> I read it too because I often like let's be clear it was white people complaining about this book about black people yeah, <laughs> like anyway. that is what was happening in those reviews let's be clear and especially okay let me let me explain <laughs> the book is about um a woman named Hetty and her husband Benji they both were conductors in the underground railroad uh during the civil war or I guess like yeah it would have been during the civil war because okay so the book takes place post civil war but pre jim crow so it's like that in between phase where like things are structurally kind of confusing but black people are free i'm using quotation marks <laughs> um because as we know it isn't 
the best, but it's better than Jim Crow era. So <laughs> it's like this weird in-between phase. So Hetty and Benji were conductors in the Underground Railroad, but the difference with this version of the story, historically speaking, is that Hetty and Benji have magic. And so they used a lot of their magic to conduct the Underground Railroad. Hetty and Benji have settled in Philadelphia and they're helping to solve murders using their magic. But it's only uh, murders of Black folks that live in Philadelphia because the white authorities won't touch on it. But what's so interesting about this is the magic system is super, super cool. It's, it's kind of, it's not really that subtle. So the magic only belongs to Black people in this world. Um, and it's like a natural magic, but the magic can be kind of like bastardized into this kind of like sorcery type of thing where it can be learned, where you use like runes and stuff. So the way the author talks about both these things is really interesting, but she doesn't do it, like she doesn't do it where like you learn about the world in like the first 10 pages. It's not, it's not that easy. Like you have to kind of work for it. So that's, I think um, the main complaints about, so of course I read all these bad reviews because I was like, no. <laughs> I refuse. And to be fair, there was only one that was really like, oh, this reads like a debut. And this is a debut author. But I think it was really polished and really well written. You really have to work for the magic and understanding how the magic works. And also the murder mystery is really well done. I, it might be like a little bit predictable, but once you've read every single murder mystery or every single like, <laughs> or watched every single murdery film you kind of you kind of know like where to pick up the hints because of course you actually are there with these characters while you're reading how they solve each clue and find each clue and that type of thing so like it, it's really smart in that sense where it's making all these connections um, but the murder that they're trying to solve is of their friend who tried to come to them for help but uh, they didn't help him. <laughs> so he, he gets murdered. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, well, we got to figure out what's going on because clearly there's magic involved. And it's just like the way it's set up and like the integration of both like this post-Civil War situation plus like the different classes even within their own community. The author is really, it's, it's both subtle and not so subtle of how she talks about how Black women are treated even within their own community. So Hetty, of course, the main character, is a Black woman in this community, and she really is, like, the main detective, the main conductor in historical, like, in her own history. But, like, everyone always turns to her husband and is like, so what's going on? And he's just like... <laughs> He's like, I don't know. And then he turns to Hetty and he's like, what's going on? And it's just like the dynamics is like, it's really, really well written and really, I think it's an essential read. I don't have, I have no respect for these people giving bad reviews. <laughs> I'm bitter about it because they didn't even finish it. Somebody was like, okay, of course I'm going to complain about these reviews. Somebody was like, there is no character development. I'm like, you got to read past like 20% of the book to get the character development. Like that's the point. It's character development over time. I read that review when you said you were gonna pick this book I think I was I don't know if I was the one that told you about that review or if you had read it beforehand too but I was like salty about it as hell because that review read just so much as this like white person upset that in this world only black people had magic like mm -hmm. the things that that person chose to highlight that is what really came out to me is that that's what they were actually upset about yeah and like just like the way they were like oh like nothing makes sense I'm like well you didn't finish it so of course it wouldn't make sense <laughs> like it's just it was here's the thing <laughs> I am all for people having their personal reviews because of course they're not like experts they're not like paid for those reviews they got a free arc and then they left a review on there whether they liked it or not I'm fine with people being like this wasn't my cup of tea 
but to go in there and criticize the author like that I was like oh hells no <laughs> I right. come for you I like the use of they there as though that's not what we do like we are also included in that day of terms of like people who get advanced copies of books and then just talk about them <laughs> Like, okay. I know we're not leaving the shitty reviews, but it's we. <laughs> it's, and, like, the thing is, it's fair. I leave shitty reviews sometimes, but I feel like I always put, this was not for me. <laughs> or, like, this was too white for me. I definitely will say shit like that because I'm open about it. I'd be like, this is definitely not for me. Or, like, there was not enough romance. Or there was too much. Or there was, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, we all have our taste. And clearly, white people cannot handle this book. <laughs> I mean, when I look at Goodreads reviews and I re- I make a point of reading all the one-star, two-star reviews because I know someone's like, I didn't like that they got together at the end of the book or some shit. Uh, so I like, I always make sure to check and read those ones because some t- half of the time they're always wrong. I was going to say, speaking of female friendships and Legally Blonde, the female friendships in this book, so good. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so realistic and complex in that way because like, it's not just like, oh, we're friends and we always support each other. They have like their other dynamics going on too. Like they have families or like what it's like to be a woman who's like in her 20s and single. Like, it's just like, they have like that stuff too and how that kind of plays in. And then- what it's like to be a passing black woman even like that like it's so so interesting like there's so many different themes in here and I, I can get people being like oh it's a lot of themes but I'm like it's like it's so well done like it, it well it works really well together um and even like the way she builds the romance part of it which I know Steph you love <laughs> so you said the, the main character is a husband so that's a is that the romance or is it something else going on <laughs> so it is but it's also complicated <laughs> is it a throuple N- no no <laughs> I mean I it's uh, I I don't want to like I guess it's like kind of obvious when you read like even the first chapter but it's a marriage of convenience so uh, they're okay friends then hello <laughs> bearing yeah. the lead on this one yeah yeah so they like they got married because it was convenient and they were like basically business partners and they're like whatever she's like I have no interest in romance and then like sure. oh guys the slow <laughs> burn for that I was just like <laughs> is this setting up this book setting up a series of like their adventures together or is this more like a trilogy or something i really hope it's setting up a series because like i could i could read more of this it's it i didn't realize so it, at the same time i was reading a couple other uh historical books that also focused on black leads and they i don't know what it is about like this in between era there's something so fun about it because you're like oh it's like they're, you're not talking about like slaves but you're talking about like that like that moment where a lot of black people were able to excel like pre-Jim Crow so it's just like there's something so fun about it they're like yes black people in historical times finally but not depressing so it's like I want more of that like I want more of like like I obviously we all love to read about like black joy but like black historical joy there's something different about it that I was just like it's such like a little like it's such a niche I find and that we don't really see like and I, I have read like black historical romance but it's not very common and like there's always like this like undertone of like we know like we know other things are going on but they can't talk about that in a romance and it's just it's kind of um yeah it makes it it makes it darker <laughs> but this this was really really well done it's really smart too and I think I have read the author was an engineer or something or still is an engineer like that current job she's a UX designer is she a UX designer? Yeah. Damn. Okay. 
And like you could definitely tell in this writing, she wasn't treating the reader like they were an idiot, basically. Like she was just like, you're smart enough to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Which I really, really appreciated. But yeah, love this book. I recommend it to everybody. I believe, I can't remember who the publisher is, but good for them. (laughs) I... I do love books that take place in that sort of like time period, that moment of like the beginnings of what could like, or like what were sort of like a black prosperity and that could have led to something Mm -hmm. very amazing if it hadn't been for like Jim Crow laws. One period of time too, I wish there were more stories about, even though it's not, it's very much a different time. It's not the same, but like the Harlem Renaissance that took place years later where there was like this sort of new type of Harlem and and if you watch um Madam C.J. Walker or Self-Made the Netflix story about Madam C.J. Walker there is a whole episode or a whole section about the Harlem Renaissance because um C.J. Walker moves part of her business or her daughter moves part of her business to be set up in New York in Harlem during that time and just like even visually it is so enjoyable to see Partly just because, like, you just don't see it. Like, it's such a visually appealing time period and fashion and aesthetic while also being about this, like, Black joy and about Black differences. Like, they talk quite a bit about how it's, like, a mix of, like, Black immigrants as well as, you know, people who were previously families of, like, Black slaves. And it's just so good and you just don't see it. So whenever it comes up, I'm always like, oh, but look at it. It's beautiful. Um, I forgot to add, of course, Steph, you'll like this. <laughs> Speaking of fashion and female friendships, both connections, but the main character, Hetty, um, when she was still, like, a house slave, she used to be, like, a seamstress, but she got so good at it Ugh. that her, her daytime job in this post-war era is like the best seamstress in philadelphia <laughs> god and sometimes damn it she magic into her dresses and it's so amazing Ooh, i oh, love the idea uh, that okay i requested after you talked about this i requested a galley especially honestly i requested it not just because of the description but because it said it was speculative fiction and i'm a hoe um <laughs> and i will say there was something very cute about this the like idea behind the romance i think that i i like this kind of idea of more of like showcasing arranged marriages or even like marriages of convenience in a more positive light than they have been before so i i made a request for this on netgalley so we'll see otherwise i might have to wait for march april or may (laughs) one of the one of the three yeah it's it's really good i do like okay it is slow but she shows she doesn't tell and i love that i mean there's like a few slow books that i enjoy but the ingredients of this book that you've said i'm like yes. yeah there's so many elements in this book that i was just like well you hit all the things that i need so i guess i love it excellent so christina what is your fake fictional murder all right y'all i'm very excited because i'm pretty sure that despite the fact that i love this author i've never actually talked about a single one of her books before on the show And so my favorite fictional murder is the story of The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. And y'all, let's talk about this. So like Murder on the Orient Express is like definitely up there as one of my fave Agatha Christie's because how can it not be? Like it's easily her most popular one. But I think The Murder of Roger Ackroyd is the top like actual murder story. Um, And I think it's really interesting. This book is credited with like launching her career as like a household name while she was still alive. Cause like she was one of, one of the few, I think like great artists that was like very popular while she was still living. Um, And I think it speaks to like how well done this murder story is. 
So I am, I, I'm going to spoil the reveal of this book. And like, it's been out for lit- like a hundred fucking years at this point. It's like almost oh, in the public domain. How do yeah. you do not spoil this book? For, I'm just kidding. So I debated not because I do think this is one of those like classic novels that everybody should read. Like it's one of those stories that you just should at some point because it definitely is the basis for so much mystery and murder mystery that has come after it. But when I give you the synopsis, I think you're going to understand why I chose to reveal it. Have either of you actually read it? Do you know the story of this? I've never read any of her. My mom is a big fan, though. We have all the books. I should see if we have this one. I saw that. Oh, yeah. I'll tell Jenny McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Have you read it, Nat? I have not, no. Okay, great. So let me give you the plot, and then you let me know at the end. Does any of this sound a little, sound a little familiar to you? Sound like something that maybe you've... It's like a game you've seen recently. So the story of Murder Roger Ackroyd, uh, the story starts with the suicide of this widow. It turns out she was being blackmailed by somebody anonymous who discovered that she had actually murdered her first husband and was having a secret affair with this super wealthy guy. Now that wealthy guy is Roger Ackroyd. Uh, he, after his like lover commits suicide, is found murdered in his study after he receives a letter about who was actually blackmailing this widow who was his lover. Um, So the mystery in this is that one, who killed Roger Ackroyd? Because he was in a room that was basically locked from the inside. When he was found, there were no traces of the note that had had the blackmailer's identity in it because you find out he received a letter from the like widow before she died, her like suicide note that said exactly who was blackmailing her inside of it. Um, So when they eventually find him, he's murdered, like he's stabbed to death no letter is around. He's in a room that there was no discernible way for a murderer to have gotten in and out of, um, except for this window that is very high up on like the second floor. Uh, So he's clearly been murdered in this room you can't get out of. Now there is an obvious suspect and there's some evidence leading to this person, but a member of the family disagrees that he's the murderer and calls on Hercule Perrault uh, out of retirement to solve the case. And this is only like the fourth Hercule Perrault book. Uh, So what's interesting about this book in particular as well is that the detective, Poirot, is not the narrator. The main character is actually Dr. Shepard, who was Roger Ackroyd's friend and his doctor, uh, who ends up helping Poirot, you know, solve the case and sort of run around as like the Watson to his Sherlock, so to speak, in this particular one. So Nat, did any of that like sound a little familiar? I mean, I, the obvious thing. Okay, well, first question: Is this the original locked room mystery? I, I don't know if you like. I don't. I'm, maybe there were some that came before it, but it's definitely one of. It's like the, the biggest. First, one? It's the biggest. It's easily the biggest. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. obviously we hear that, but obvious the biggest connection. Knives out. Knives even out. I, even <laughs> I was like, ding. Yeah. <laughs> and and who, who do you think the killer is in Knives Out? Like the the obvious one in the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning. Uh, Who does it? Even like as as the story moves on, wasn't it the son or something? Don't you always think it's uh, Chris? Whatever. Well, the way that they showcase it is you think that it's Marta, his nurse. Yeah. Oh. And was, you yeah. mean like the the one that she was framed for? Exactly. Where where she even thinks that she's the murderer, and she's very much the narrator or the main character of Knives Out. And in the story of the murder of Roger Ackroyd, Dr. Shepard is the narrator, except the difference is that Dr. Shepard is the murderer. Ooh. Oh, so Knives Out twisted it because 
Yes. Now imagine watching Knives Out and following Marta around that entire time and having no idea, like, like Marta was the murderer. Imagine having no idea Marta was the murderer until the very, very end. And they, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like in a world where Marta was the murderer. Yeah. Imagine you follow her around this whole thing where she's helping this detective. And then at the end you find out it was her. You know, I'm starting to like in my head, this is the the glazed look in my eyes is because I'm starting to make connections with other books I've read that are very similar. Because this is like, this is the blueprint and it's so well done because the whole time you're following Dr. Shepard and you think that he's just trying to solve the murder and the blackmail of a friend of somebody that he knew and he's just sort of helping Perko Pro mm-hmm. on the way. And then at the very end, it's revealed he was the murderer all along Um, And it's this really interesting thing where I almost, it's kind of like an unreliable narrator, but I wouldn't even say it's that because he's not unreliable in that Agatha Christie never has him lie to you. His character when speaking will lie to other characters and maybe you realize it's a lie, maybe you don't. But he, because he's a doctor, he has this very clinical way of looking at everything so that you're following him along as you would as if he was a detective trying to solve the case. So it's very easy to look at things like very clinically and to not necessarily believe that he is openly not talking about the fact that he's murdered. Like he's openly lying and attempting to solve this case when he damn well knows that he was the fucking murderer and he was the blackmailer. Like he murders Roger Ackroyd to when he finds out that he was the one that was blackmailing the widow who killed herself. So it's just this way of like, instead of having him lie to you and be unreliable, it's more that he just like looks at things very clinically, very sharply, but he never looks in the mirror. So he looks at himself. He just never talks about the way he fits into the story, except for the fact that he was the one that found, uh, or he was the one that found out about Roger Ackroyd being murdered. And like, he was the last person to see him alive. And it's so silly because once you find out that he's the murderer, a million little things that she laid down connect. Like there's the fact that, you know, this whole thing starts off because he is set, he is told, or he says basically that the person who was initially the suspect, Roger Ackroyd's like future son-in-law, called him and told him that Roger Ackroyd was dead. But the entire time that son-in-law is like, I literally never called you. But that son-in-law is also the prime suspect. So everybody just thinks that he's lying and that Dr. Shepard is correct. And the son-in-law was the first person to know that Roger Ackroyd was dead because he killed him. No, no. Dr. Shepard was lying the entire fucking time. He never got a phone call. Y'all. That's like the epitome of every good story from here on out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, it really is. For me, it create, for me, I think it created my love of that twist ending where it's like, it's done so well that it doesn't not make sense. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not rushed by any means, but it's not so obvious that you can see what's coming a mile away. Like it really like, even if you kind of have an inkling of where something could be going, it's definitely easier to see the plot coming in 2020 than it would have been, I think, if you were reading it in 1920. But that's only because Knives Out was made. Like, so many movies and books have been made using this, like, blueprint as the unreliable narrator or as the murder mystery where the main character is the murderer. And it's so fucking good. Um, there's a there's a manga that I read called Detective Conan, and they literally use the locked room mystery almost every single volume. And it drives me crazy because it's so 
be nan now but they always try to do it in a different way and you're like what the fuck <laughs> every single time and it's always a main character and you're always like i can predict but it's just like when you can like predict like the formula of any like crime tv show of like who it's gonna be and there's just like these subtle hints that you're like like that but like it, i feel like it all comes from things like this like an agatha christie novel where like you're so used to those devices that they use that you're like okay it's gonna be this person did you guys watch broad church yeah of course i feel like that was the only thing recently that i've what was like okay you're setting it up for someone else and then you're completely by surprise when they reveal who who killed someone and that's another one where i like i even go back to thinking of like when we were talking about dark where it's just one of those situations Mm -hmm. where again you could never dark obviously is very very different because of the plot point it's going for but it's a thing where like you probably wouldn't get to where dark is going but the moment it gets there you're like wow you blow my mind and that for me is the mark of something not well written excellently fucking written something crafted like you didn't just sit there and you had an idea of where you're going and you wrote it out like no you you planted a garden that turned into a story like i fucking love it that was so poetic no it was beautiful <laughs> you know that'll be the quote for the episode <laughs> yeah and i love agatha like this is one of the reasons that agatha christie is my favorite is because even if she wasn't the very first person to do this kind of murder or to do the murder uh, story the way she did in murder on the orange express the way that she writes she popularized this to the point where literally 100 years later these are still so fucking good like i could read i almost reread this book before this episode because as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I love that story so much. I should read it again, but I have so many books to read. So yeah, this is generally my favorite murder. Like it defined a genre. Like it is, like, Knives Out came out last year and it is almost a reimagining of the murder of Roger Ackroyd, 100%. Does, does that mean that <laughs> Daniel Craig plays Poirot? Yeah, and that's, I don't think that that's even like a thing. I think that even if this wasn't a retelling of this specific story, Daniel Craig is easily playing a Perot character. That's why he because, has a weird accent. Yeah, and I was going to say, they, they focus on him in this weird way where, like, they're setting up a mystery as to who he is in the beginning, and you're like, why? Yeah, it's Perot. And it's that perfect level of, like, every single Hercule Perot, it's a story of this man who is just trying to take a vacation, and no one will let him. Like, the beginning of every story, he's like, I'm going on a break. I'm taking a train trip. And they're like, there was a murder on the train. And he's like, I'm going to get on a boat this time and go to Egypt. And it's like, oh, death on the Nile. Like, the man has been retired for all, like, 40 books that he's in. And in every single one of them, he's had to solve a case. I remember when I first read Murder on the Orient Express, the exasperated sigh that you felt across (laughs) the I was just like, oh, he's not into this. And to be fair, I think Daniel Craig does an excellent Poirot with whatever that accent was at all. Like, I know a lot of people were joking about the accent, but like anybody who was mad about it, I'm like, no, you just, it's fine. You don't have to like it, but you don't understand. (laughs) It's a reference. He was from Belgium. (laughs) So that for me, hands down, favorite murder. I love it. Now my favorite fictional murder, my favorite real murder is when I'll eventually get murdered. (laughs) Don't put that out into the universe. It's too late. It's I mean, been, it's, it's yeah, it's been, it's been percolating. <laughs> I'm waiting. Can they hurry it up? I mean, not before we go on our week-long <laughs> pool trip, uh, but after that, totally fine. Great episode, guys. We're keeping it under an hour. Keeping it tight. You guys um, should, okay, and also, because we're, like, more active on Twitter now, you guys should tell us your fake favorite murder. Is that what we're Yeah, your favorite you? fictional, your favorite fictional murder. Come look at our Pinterest. I've been working on it. <laughs> Making some graphics. 
<laughs> I, I link to things we say in the episode on Pinterest, okay? That's just an FYI. We can't focus on multiple things at a time, so the Instagram is a little bit dead, but follow us there too because stuff will also be happening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you don't need us and stop after this episode. Um, I think my favorite review I've ever gotten was our friend Wendy, who listens, uh, telling us that she can listen to this podcast because... <laughs> We are so like authentically ourselves. It's like listening to us have a conversation. And I like that review because low key, even if she didn't mean it, it was shade because we don't try at all. This is literally just us talking. I mean, if you want to hear me professional, I have another podcast. (laughs) People say they don't know. You plug that podcast in here. You don't plug that here. (laughs) I'm plugging it just because if you want to hear my professional, I'm doing quotes here. That people don't know that it's me. That's when you, you need to check out. And when he has an episode also on that podcast. Steph's professional voice is wild to me. It is drastically different than what we get here. She Again, she tries for the other podcast. None of us try here. We're just talking. So we appreciate you listening to us just talking for two hours every week. I think Me at Home has also adjusted it so I'm more like this than I was previously. (laughs) And on that note, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you stick around, listen to some of our old episodes, listen to some of our newers. Like Nat was saying, you can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Pinterest at EatsCast because everyone and their sister is too long of a handle for most platforms. Pinterest is everyone and their sister podcast. Just Oh, wow. You had to make it different. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Well, Um, how can you search? Otherwise, people aren't going to know it's a podcast. That's true. Pinterest is a little bit different. Pinterest is weird. I'm learning there. Come check me out. <laughs> this is all just this is all just career development for all three of us. I'm just uh, I'm just experimenting. <laughs> keep uh, on track for our ne- episode next week, which will all be about some of our favorite uh, modern day horror stories. Horror. Um, as a reminder, just before as we sign off, our favorite fictional murders were mine was the murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. Mine was the Conductors by Nicole Glover. Mine is Legally Blonde because I can't remember who died, <laughs> the person who died, but Brooke Windham, the Brooke Windham murder suspect. And that is it for us. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.